Well, this morning we get to wrap up this series that we've been in about coincidence and talking about how we've been able to see in the Bible how God's hand has been in and amongst events uh, and situations where it wouldn't normally uh, seem as though anybody was in charge of anything. Uh, and, and, and so and just to recap a little bit about this idea of coincidence, uh, let, let me tell you uh, how the Bible views coincidence. The Bible views it like this. It was used one time, the word coincidence used one time in the Bible. And it's when Jesus was talking about this, telling the, telling the parable of the Good Samaritan. And Jesus said during that parable, that this, this one priest happened to be walking down the road. And when he used that word happen, it, it, it's what, how, what we would translate coincidence. The only time it's ever used in the Bible, Jesus used it himself. And that word in the Greek is comprised of two words, seen, which means together with, and kurios, which means supreme authority. So when, when events are put together with and by supreme authority, that's the understand, the biblical understanding of coincidence. Not happen chance, not, not where things come together and we're not quite sure how or why where things have been orchestrated. So, so biblically, coincidence is, is, is are events that are put together by a supreme authority. And that's what we've seen in this whole series. That we've, we've looked at all kinds of, 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 of Scripture, where, where it looks at, at and just reading like stuff's just going crazy sometimes. And, but as you peel back the layers, you start seeing that there was a hand behind it all. Lots of different events being put together by someone who's sovereign and in control. So coincidence may well be events put together by a supreme authority, by, by a sovereign God. That, that may be true, but it begs the question, for what purpose? Why does God orchestrate events and what we see as coincidence together? To make our lives better? Is that part of it? It, 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 does, he, does he do all that to make us better people? Does he orchestrate all things to, to position us for our benefit, to position things for our benefit? No, no, and no. See, we run into trouble. And, and if, you've, if you've tried a life of faith, we, you... you from the position of God orchestrates things for my blessing and benefit. If, if, you've, if you've had as the starting point that God controls situations and scenarios and coincidences to make me a better person, for my blessing, you're going to run into some problems. Because couldn't we all say that things have been sometimes orchestrated and put together, and it sure as heck didn't feel like it was for my blessing and my benefit? Coincidence. In other words, events that are put together by supreme God are for the purpose of highlighting God and His sovereignty. And to be able to see His love and His grace in the midst of that, that would lead us to Christ. 
And so in this series, we saw way back in the book of Genesis that God orchestrated a dead end in order to produce a deliverance. And we saw in the book of Genesis that God orchestrated a lack in order to reveal a love. And we saw in the book of Exodus that God orchestrated a crisis in order to raise up and produce a leader. And we saw in the book of 1 Samuel that God orchestrated someone lowly in order to raise up and bring a victory. And we saw in the book of Ruth that God orchestrated a deficit in order to provide a provision. We saw in the book of Esther that God orchestrates you for the moment that you're in. Ultimately for his kingdom and his highlight. All these coincidences put together for the purpose of highlighting God's hand. And through all those coincidences, we saw whispers of a savior and hints at a deliverer and shadows of a victor of Christ. And so it's all through the Old Testament. We're going to jump to the New Testament because what I want us to see is God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. This is how God works. And so I want to show us today this idea of coincidence that God orchestrates events so you can reach your huddle. God orchestrates events in your life so you can reach your huddle. Now, let me explain a little bit what a huddle is. I'm a football guy, so I talk and I think in terms of, in, in terms of that. Uh, and so I talk about a huddle. Let me explain what your huddle is. I need to define this. Your huddle are 8 to 15 people in your life with whom you have regular contact. There's 8 to 15 people that are surrounding your life with whom you have regular contact. And, I, and the, the, those 8 to 15 might change depending on the, the time of year, the season that you're in, but during your life stage. I need you guys to fix that somehow. I don't know what's going on, but if you could do your little magic and fix that, that's pretty annoying. I appreciate it. You guys do good work. We're trusting you. God orchestrated that coincidence so you could show off a little bit. So don't let God down. He's going to be upset. No, I'm just kidding. Do I need to grab a mic? We good here? All right. That makes my voice sound so sexy. I'm just saying. I sound good. I feel a little bit like Barry White right now. Just kidding. Listen, you got 8 to 15 people somewhere around your world that you have influence with and contact with. Now, some of those 8 to 15 are going to be people, hopefully, that know Jesus. Because you need some encouragement. You need some perspective because life gets a little bit squirrely. But there's going to be a lot of people in your huddle, those 8 to 15 people that don't know Jesus. Uh, and, and, and God's put you, them in your life and you in their life for a reason. Now... Let me help you understand what your reason is. You were in those people, that 8 to 15. You're in their life and they're in your life for one primary reason. That 8 to 15 people, your huddle, it may change as you ebb and flow through life. 
But at, so you're going to have uh, somewhere in that number uh, around you at all times. And if you're a Christ follower, if you claim the name of Jesus, you got one job and the one primary responsibility for those 8 to 15 people in your huddle. And your one primary responsibility to those 8 to 15 people in your huddle is to tell them about Jesus. That's it. If you claim the name of Christ, you have 8 to 15 people that are in your life. And for any of those 8 to 15 that do not know, the only reason God put them in your life and you in their life is so you could tell them about Christ. I'm going to tell you really, I'm going to show you a real easy principle of being able to identify people who might be ready to hear about Jesus. Real easy principle. You ready? It's pretty simple. You start looking for people in transition and people under tension. You start looking at those 8 to 15 people in your life. Like getting your head right. If you're a Christ follower, if you claim Jesus, you start thinking, who are those 8 to 15 people in my life? And then you start looking in that 8 to 15, who are those that are in transition and who are those who are under tension? Because people in transition need something stable that they can hold on to because the world gets crazy. And those who are under tension need something in their life to give them peace. And so think right now, if you claim Jesus, you think right now, who in my 8 to 15 is in transition and who in my 8 to 15 is under tension? They are in your life and you're in there for one primary reason. To tell them about Jesus. Now let me say this with, with as much grace as I can. If you are a Christ follower. And you are not somehow telling those in your 8 to 15 that don't know Jesus about Jesus. You're not doing the one thing, primary thing that you're still on earth to do. And can I just say this? Nowhere in the Bible did anybody have enough Holy Spirit radiation they could just walk into a room and have people go, oh, I need to know Jesus. You just look different. That didn't happen. Like Jesus didn't even have that much God on him to be able to just walk in a room and people go, oh, can you tell me about yourself? <laughs> you know, I just. And so when we talk about telling people about Jesus, it's not just about, well, how I live. Like, I don't like to use words so much. I just like to, like, live in front of people, and they'll just know Jesus because of how I live, because I'm so different. That doesn't. So those 8 to 15, if you claim Christ, and you've got some in your 8 to 15 that don't know Jesus, you've got one primary responsibility. It is to live differently. I'm not saying it's not, but it is also to speak. And the best, one of the best ways that you can end those eight to, with those 8 to 15 people, tell them about Jesus, is just real simple. Look, here's what I, I don't know a lot, but here's what I know. I know I used to be this way, and then this Jesus showed up in my life, and now I'm this way. For some of you, that's a great story. Because nobody can argue with your story. And some of you live such a before. I mean, your before Jesus was pretty profoundly before Jesus. And then Jesus showed up and I was like, how did that happen? And all he says, I don't know. Gee, I'm Jesus, that's the only thing. 
someone said, they told me it this way, and, and, and I'm just passing this on, so don't get offended at me. Someone told me this. I'm just saying what I was told. Don't waste good oxygen and the limited time you have left on this planet not doing your one job. Do you understand? If you have a relationship with Christ. And so we've seen all through the Old Testament how God orchestrated the events and coincidences to highlight his hand and to bring people to him. I'm going to show you how this looks in the New Testament as we wrap up this series. Luke chapter 5. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now th this is the Sea of Galilee. Luke is the only writer of the Gospels that calls it the lake and, and, and instead of a sea and calls it Gennesaret rather than Galilee. But this is the Sea of Galilee or the... The, the, the people were crowding around Jesus and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon Peter, Simon Peter, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, we'll let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so, uh, so full that the boats began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. Let me tell you this right off the bat. So important is it, if you're a Christ follower, that you reach your huddle. That, that, that is so important to God that he might go through your stuff to get to you and through you to your huddle. In other words, he might acquisition your stuff so he can get to you, so you can get to your huddle. He may acquisition, take possession, or relieve you of it so he can get your attention. So he can get you. So you can get your huddle. Do you understand? Now look how this looks. First two verses. Jesus standing at the lake of Gennesaret, Sea of Galilee. People are crowding around him so they can hear him teach. He saw at the water's edge two boats. They were left there by the fishermen because the fishermen were washing their nets. These are professional fishermen. What's the job of a professional fisherman? To what? To catch fish. It's significant. Jesus saw these guys. They had just come off the water. He saw them washing their nets. He didn't see them cleaning their fish. Hmm. You know what that means about them? They hadn't caught any. It is obvious when a fisherman has caught fish. If you've ever been out on a lake or by a river and there's someone fishing... And, and, and that person has caught fish, it is obvious they caught fish. Because they're up, they're looking around at people, they're waiting for someone to walk by just so that they can be asked, how's it going? Because a fisherman cannot wait to tell the story of his day fishing when he's caught fish. Do you understand? 
And it is obvious when the fisherman's caught nothing. Because their head's down, they don't want to see anybody, they don't want to talk to anybody, all they want to do is clean up their tackle. What happens to a professional fisherman who doesn't catch any fish? Huh? He goes hungry. You don't eat. You don't take care of your family. They caught nothing. Have you ever, have you ever experienced failure and then felt like a failure? They caught nothing. You've been in those times in life, those circumstances, where it's just all fall apart? Like nothing went like it's supposed to? Please understand this. Your worth is not equal to your performance. And your performance does not equal your worth. Please understand that. If we realize that God's hand is on us and with us when his hand of favor is on us and with us when we win, perhaps God's hand is still on us and with us when we lose. Because God is always at work. Do you understand? And perhaps God had orchestrated the fisherman's failure because God wanted to work through it. Let's not make the mistake in thinking that failure equals the lack of God's hand and orchestration. And let's not make the mistake of thinking that failure means I am one. Do you understand? I love how Jesus walks through this moment with these guys. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to pull out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. What didn't Jesus do? Jesus, I'm okay, he sees the guys with the boat. He sees the boat sitting there. He sees the fellas cleaning their nets. He walks in, gets in the boat, and says, take me out. What didn't Jesus do? He didn't ask permission. Jesus never asked permission to use the boat. He just took it. I mean, how rude is this? If we were not in church, y'all would say, well, that's just kind of rude. That's a little bit arrogant. You don't even ask permission? Shouldn't he have said, hey, Peter, good try. I know you've been working hard. Would you mind? I know you're tired. Can you help me out? Can you? I, I, I mean, Jesus, his, he is so direct sometimes. We miss it. Don't take the humanity out of Christ. Don't take the human out of the story. He sees a boat. He knows he needs a boat. And he walks in and says, I'm, I'm, I'm acquiring this boat right now. Do this for me. Do you understand how direct that is? Here's what I want you to know. That thing about me that you don't like, I'm just like Jesus. <laughs> He is just so direct. 
Here's what I know. God may acquisition your stuff to get to you. When God wants to acquisition your stuff, does he ever stop and ask your permission? When he ever wants to pry your hands off of something, does he ask your permission? Pay attention to this stuff. He's trying to get to you and through you to your huddle. And sometimes he'll acquire your stuff so he can get to you. And then to your huddle. Look what the Bible says. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out in deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, we'll let down the nets. Jesus asked Simon Peter to do something that was contrary to his instinct. Jesus asked the fishermen to do something that was contrary to their training. Jesus asked the fishermen to do something that did not make sense. Now here's, here's what's going on. To fish on Galilee with nets. Nets don't go terribly deep in the water. The reason why they're fishing with these nets is because they didn't have poles. Fishing with poles is very different than fishing with nets. Fishing with poles means you got a leader, you got a sinker, you got these weights that'll take the, 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 the bait down deep. Nets are meant to stay up top. The reason why Peter says we fished all night, and it means all night and into the very early mornings, uh, hours of the morning, why was it that they fished all night and into the early hours of the morning? Why? Well, of course it was the best time. That's why they were fishing. But why was it the best time? Fish are up top. Why are they up top? No, this is how come you're not fishermen. And that's okay. I'm going to tell you why. It has to do with the temperature of the water. The coldest hours of the night and the early morning is when the water is the coldest. And most fish like cold water. And so when the water is colder, they can be higher. As the day heats up and the water heats up, the water gets hotter, so the fish have to go deeper to the colder water. Do you understand? That's why they fish with nets at the top of the water at night and in the morning. It's not because the fish are sleeping during the day. It's not because they're not hungry. It has to do with the temperature of the water. And so at the coldest parts of the night and the coldest parts of the morning, that's when they throw their nets out because the fish are up top because the water's cold. Does that make sense? Okay. So here's the problem. The Sea of Galilee. It's the largest freshwater lake in Israel. It's 13 miles long, 8 miles wide, and 141 feet deep. Okay? Now, just for comparison, Lake Tahoe is 22 miles long, 12 miles wide, and 1,644 feet deep. 1,644 feet deep compared to 141. So Galilee is a pretty shallow lake. I've been fishing on Tahoe a few different times with the charter, and uh, they've taken us out early at oh dark 30 in the morning because the water's coldest, fish are higher. And by early morning, those big lake trout 
are diving so deep. We caught our last fish the first time we went out with a charter at, at over 400 feet deep. That's how far they were diving down to stay in the cold water. And so Galilee, being a very shallow lake, heats up very quickly. Does that make sense? So you don't fish in the morning and afternoon time. And fishermen know that. They know you don't fish at midday. And so these fishermen were under tension. Does that make sense? And so Jesus sees them under tension. A tension that had been orchestrated by the coincidences in which they found themselves that were orchestrated that way by God so he could get their attention. Because they were under tension. Because for a fisherman, no fish meant no money, meant, meant no food. You think it was by coincidence that they had fished all night and caught nothing? You think it was by coincidence that they didn't find six? You think it was by coincidence that their plans were ruined? You think that's by coincidence? How about you? You think your lack of success is bad luck? You think your dream, your ruined plans is coincidence? Peter's response to Jesus is a form of a rebuke. He starts talking back to God. Have you ever done that? Do you ever talk back to God? I mean, Peter, Peter and the fellows, they're professional fishermen. That's what they do. They know how to do this. Jesus, he's freaking got a carpentry background. Or worse than that, he's got a preacher's background. He don't know nothing, right? And Peter says, look, Jesus, we know what we're doing. We've done all there is to do. He said, basically says, look, we'll take care of the business on the lake, you take care of the business in a wood shop. We know how this is supposed to go. We'll take care of the fishing stuff. You take care of the teaching stuff. Have you ever talked back to God? Have you ever had one of those types of conversations with him? God, listen. Why don't you just... I've been living this life for a long time. I, I, I think I know how stuff's supposed to go down in my life. Why, do, you, why don't you take care of the sunrise and the sunset? And if you could do a little something about the drought, that'd be fantastic. But other than that, you ever talk back to God? How about these last two years? You know, God, honestly, this whole COVID thing, I think I know how this ought to go. If you'll just listen to me a little bit about the COVID thing and the protocols and all this stuff. Did you ever talk back to God? You think all this stuff coincidence? See, God may allow us to get to the point where all our resources are gone. 
And he may allow us to get to the point where nothing that we try works anymore. And he may allow us to get to the point of incredible frustration and concern. And he may allow us to get to the point of very deep disappointment. And when that happens, we find ourselves on the shore with no fish. The question is, will I trust him and obey him? In those circumstances and coincidences, when the resources have run out, when nothing works anymore, when I'm frustrated and when I'm disappointed, will I still continue to trust him and obey him in those, when it just doesn't make sense? And rather talking back to him, just say, okay. All right. See, the key to all these coincidences and circumstances in our lives is not just so God can get a hold of us, but so we can reach our huddle. And so you, the key to reaching your huddle is that you start watching for those who are low on resources. Because you know the God who has them. And you start watching for those for whom nothing seems to be working because you know the God who's always at work. And you start watching for those who are frustrated because you know the God of peace. And you start watching for those who are disappointed because you know the God that intervenes. And God uses all of that stuff all those coincidences and circumstances to put people in the position to experience him. You first, and then those in your huddle. And Peter quickly learns what we do not, that God's word is not to be ignored on any subject. See, though Peter didn't understand, Peter could still obey. See, we don't have to agree with God, oh, we don't have to understand. We can still obey. Do you understand? So, so look, look what happens in this thing. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. See, so do you know what the you know what the results of trusting and obedience are when your resources run low? Do you know what the results are of trusting and obeying when nothing else seems to work? Do you know what the results are of trusting and obeying when you're frustrated? Do you know what the results are of trusting and obeying when you're disappointed? The results is that God shows up somehow. Somehow. And it might not be the way we thought it ought to be. And it might not be the way we want it to be. But if we trust and obey, we know. See, when we have nothing left and we still trust and obey, God reveals resources that you can't see. And when nothing else works and we choose to trust and obey, God starts to turn things for your favor. And when, you when you're frustrated, but you still trust and obey, God starts to do something very unique, which is to settle your heart and give you peace. And when you're disappointed but you trust and obey. God starts to reorder your desires. And when God reveals resources that you've not seen and gives favor where favor had not been and starts to settle your heart 
and give you peace that is beyond yourself and reorder your heart. He does it to get to you and so you can get your huddle in on it. Because if you're a Christ follower, that's the only reason you're drawing breath right now. So they signaled their partners in another boat to come and help them and they came and filled the both boats so full that they began to sink. Here's, here, this is what I know. This isn't always what I practice, but this is what I know. Oh, I'm right there with you. This is what I know. Obedience always brings results and it's always a blessing. Now I could practice this more, but I, but, but I know it. It's never the wrong thing to obey God. And so let me tell you what's happening. I don't know the details of what's going on in your life right now, but I know God. And let me tell you what God's doing right now. Do you want to know? You want to know what he's doing in you right now? I'm going to tell you. This is what he's doing. Coincidences and circumstances are lining up right now in your life. To give you the opportunity to practice obedience. So that you can experience blessing. That's what's happening right now. Coincidence and circumstances are lining up right now in your life to give you an opportunity to practice obedience. See, here's the thing. Disobedience is going to be easy. Obedience usually isn't that way. Disobedience doesn't really require any thought or energy. Obedience requires purposeful decision and a lot of energy. Disobedience usually gets the normal expected results of what everybody gets. Obedience usually reveals results in extraordinary ways. And that's exactly what happened with these guys. One of the ways you know, one of the ways you know that the circumstances you're in are really coincidence orchestrated by God is that through your obedience, the outcome is out of the ordinary. Don't miss this. One of the ways you know that the circumstances you're in are really coincidences that are orchestrated by God, is that through your obedience, the outcome's out of there. Here's the problem. We want extraordinary, out-of-the-ordinary results, outcomes, without changing anything about us. Right? We get it all the time. All kinds of prayer requests that God will grant extraordinary results, outcomes that are out of the ordinary without ever a prayer that the person will get their life in line with Christ. Do you understand? And so the way you know that God is orchestrating these circumstances is that through your obedience, the outcome will be out of the ordinary. 
See, Peter had to be obedient first. And that's exactly what happened. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. So were, they, so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, his partners. And Jesus said to them, Hey, don't be afraid, guys. From now on, you're not fish for fish anymore. I'm raising the stakes. You're going to fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and they followed him. You think it was by coincidence that they had fished all night and caught nothing? You think that's by coincidence? You think it's by coincidence that Jesus just happened to get to teaching the exact time they were done fishing and started cleaning their house? You think that's by coincidence? You think it's by coincidence that Jesus happened to be just at the exact place at the right time where they were putting in and putting out a shore? Do you think that's coincidence? Do you think it's coincidence? All of that happened to give Peter an opportunity to respond in obedience so that God could show off in a way that was out of the ordinary so that not only Peter would follow Jesus, but those in his huddle would follow. You think this is by coincidence? Not at all. You know, part of the point and the emphasis of obedience is not so that we will show off how good we are. Part of the point and emphasis of obedience and obeying when it doesn't make sense is to give God an opportunity to show off how good God is. Amen. Amen. Do you understand? Amen. You know why I started coaching rookie baseball? If I told you it's because I love baseball, I would be lying. If I told you it's because first graders are the, the premier athletes, I would be lying. If I told you it's because I got too much leisure time, I would be lying. I started coaching rookie baseball because I'm increasing my huddle. I have regular contact and influence with some men and women I wouldn't normally have as their parents and with these little kids. And it is so much fun. I got to play catch with a little boy yesterday and teach him how to catch. And he said, I said, did you have a good time in baseball? He said, my favorite thing was catching like an adult. <laughs> his mom put his cup in upside down, so that wasn't his favorite thing, but... He said, my favorite thing was catching like an adult and playing catch with you. And so he and his dad and I walked out and we talked together about stuff. We got one job. And God is orchestrating circumstances and coincidences in our life to get us and through us our huddle. So watch. God is orchestrating events in your life right now, even deep needs. So that you and I can respond in obedience. So that God has the opportunity to show off in extraordinary. So that 
we can reach our huddle for Jesus. This is the point of all the coincidences in your life. This is the point of every circumstance. We got one job. And every coincidence we've seen in the Bible has led to this one thing, the revelation of God and inviting people into his kingdom. Nothing has changed. Do you understand? Father, thank you. That you love us and you've called us to things that are so far beyond us. They are of grand and eternal nature. We can trust you. We can trust your hand. We can trust your orchestration because we know that you have loved us with an everlasting love. We can choose this day, disobedience or obedience. You've given us the freedom of that choice. Thank you. Father, forgive me and forgive us when we've chosen disobedience. Call us further and deeper into trusting you, especially in the circumstances and coincidences we don't understand, especially in those moments and events that make no sense, especially when we're standing on the shore with no fish. Help us to trust and obey. Father, I ask that you would give us a mindset and eyes through which to view this world and our life as somehow an orchestration by your hand for your kingdom's sake and inviting us into it with you. In your name I pray, amen. Here's my charge. Two things. Start to view your life through the lens of your huddle. You've got 8 to 15. And start realizing those in your 8 to 15 that are in transition and under tension. Those are the ones that God says, I want you to be purposeful with. And if all you can do is tell your story, tell your story every chance you have opportunity. Do you understand? 8 to 15. Those in transition under tension. The second thing is this. The only way that we can be confident of the orchestration of circumstances and coincidences in our lives, that it is ultimately for good, is if we have a very clear understanding of what's waiting for us on the other side. If you still erroneously believe that life is about right now, you are sorely mistaken. Someone has said this, that a 
A faith that doesn't have a sure foundation understanding of heaven will be a faith that cannot handle the difficulties and pains of this world. And if we really knew the reality of what's waiting that is more real and more purposeful and more eternal there, if we really understood that, we would be able to say, okay, God, it's fine. However you want to orchestrate, whatever, I trust you because I know what's waiting. It's okay. So here's this thing that I'm going to charge you with. You'll be here next week. And anybody in your huddle that doesn't already have a church home, you beg, borrow, and steal to get them here over this series. It'll last us to the week past Easter. Do you understand? This is what it's all about. And if you got a relationship with Jesus, this is why you're still breathing. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I'm thankful you're still breathing. And I want to walk you through that process of saying, Jesus, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Make me new. That's it. Jesus, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Make me new. So one more time before we sing, here we go, close your eyes. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you know about him, but you don't know him, if you've been a church person, but you've not been a Jesus follower, real simple. The only reason you're still breathing so you can come into a relationship with him. In your own heart right now. Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. Make me a new person. Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. Make me a new person. Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. Make me a new person. Amen. There's nothing mystical about it. There's nothing magical about it. It's just a real response to a real God that has known you from your beginning that wants to know you forever. And if you've made that decision now, You've been endowed with an eternal purpose. Now, you've been gifted and granted the work of God in this world. Now, your life becomes about so much more than just this world. Now, your life becomes about those 8 to 15 people that don't yet know what you just found out. Now, you walk out of this place with a purpose. That is so far beyond your own comfort. It's about the kingdom. You understand? You understand? You understand? Don't make me start all over again. Hey, listen, I love you. We're going to sing together. You're going to come back next week and bring your huddle with you to learn about heaven. Let's sing.